Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. This is a podcast, and it's for anybody who's interested in pushing the boundaries of what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, as always, joined by the delightfully irreverent Brendan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? I'm not too bad, Robert. And how are you? So far, so good today. So over the last couple of episodes, we've been diving deeper into our exploration of a mainstream school and all of the components that create a mainstream school. And today we're going to be looking at the head teacher, the principal, and uh, their role and some of the beliefs that they'd have. Now, we've been doing this at the start of our last few episodes, but I would say if you haven't listened to our 50th episode titled Start Here 2.0, A Map for Reinventing Education, we'd recommend going back and listening to that first. Because we use a lot of terminology and, and ideas of different stages of school. We're looking at these three different stages of school, of traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And we're kind of jumping in, assuming you've got at least a, a beginner's sense of some of these terms. So if you're brand new to us, this is the first time you're listening. Go back, check out our 50th episode, and then... Uh, Find your way back here, possibly, if you're still interested, and uh, we'll dive deeper into what makes a principal or a head of school different in a mainstream school as opposed to a traditional or progressive school. Before we get into it, Brennan, you and I, we have been learning a lot as we've been diving deeper into our own model. And nearly a year ago, we did our episode on the role of a principal or a head of school in a traditional school. And I think at the time, it was more accurate than not. But the longer we've had to better understand some of the really subtle distinctions between traditional mainstreaming progressive school, we've been able to see nuances that perhaps you and I didn't pick up on. And when we tried to explain the role of a head of school in traditional school, I think what we did was we kind of described the head of a school who has kind of one uh, one foot in a traditional school, one foot into a mainstream school. And before we begin our discussion today, you and I were saying that that perhaps it would be worthwhile just making that distinction between a traditional and mainstream school a little bit clearer. Yes, yeah, so the school we kind of imagined, if you go back 20, 25 episodes or so, we imagine this this beautiful old castle-looking traditional school. But if we really want to make that distinction really clear, we want to look back at the kind of one-room schoolhouses that we might have seen 150 years ago. And, of course, in those schools, there was only a single adult, usually somebody representative of the community, and they might have been teaching anywhere between five and a hundred students. And so what it, what essentially happened is as schools, especially in cities, grew, they added more and more teachers. And, and one of the teachers would essentially be pushed into the role of a overseeing or a lead or a principal teacher. And they would carry out much more of those administrative duties across the whole school. And they would often, as uh, school boards came into existence, they would be the liaison. And sometime around the turn of the century, this role became much more professionalized, more of a management position before eventually over the course of the 20th century becoming the mainstream principal role that we know today. The principal role or the head teacher role emerged kind of in response to the population growth and the the requirements of the incoming kind of mainstream values as things like grading and report cards and standardized testing became more and more prevalent. It became more necessary that more roles in the school were assigned to make sure that these systems were overseen. And so we go from what is essentially one teacher in a teaching role, very much in the traditional rote learning chalk and talk method, and then we 
see them being removed from the classroom and we get the we get a, a role that arguably has much more to do with uh, liaising with local government and the community than being involved in teaching and learning in the classroom. Yeah, and perhaps more traditionally, there would be a little bit more space, a little bit more trust provided to a head of school. As time went on, accountability uh, really became the central focus. And what I'd say distinguishes the traditional and the mainstream head of school is that the mainstream head of school now is under, I'm going to say, just constant scrutiny, or at least constant accountability. And the main way that we see that, the main role for a principal or a head of school now, is their ability to produce for lack of a better word, uh, student learning results. So student learning results, student achievement are the primary focus of what makes up the job of a role of principal alongside these kind of managerial roles that we're talking about. So part of that might be that they actually get some say in the accreditations for a school. Now, this is probably more so the case in a private school situation, but still totally possible in a public school situation. The role of the head might be looking for which accreditations best serve their school, which accreditations would be most attractive or most valued by parents and most helpful to the students, and kind of looking for like what puts them in a good position uh, for better opportunities, both as a school and on the level of students. Brenner, I wonder if you could say a little bit about like how a mainstream head sets the tone for a staff. Yeah, so in many ways, mirroring what happens in the classroom with a teacher in a mainstream school becoming much more like a Olympic-style coach training students up to, to pass the next test or meet the next level of school. A mainstream head is seen very much as a captain or the coach of their teachers. And although these days in larger schools, they may not have a direct responsibility for training the teachers and giving professional development, but they will still have a large hand in overseeing that, deciding on who's hired and which positions they take in the school. In terms of setting the actual tone of culture, the head teacher seems to have a really important role because they get to decide what flies in the school and what doesn't. The buck stops with them. If they are aware of behavior and attitudes and culture within the school, it really is part of their role to kind of frame that culture. And in a mainstream culture, it begins to become a little bit more explicit and a little bit more talked about. In a traditional school, the values might be just running in the background. There may, there may not be a lot of talk about how people interact with each other. As we move further into a mainstream era, we see the head teacher with their supporting leadership team really setting that tone. Obviously, with the school leader having to play this dual role of looking outwards towards local government and the community and looking inwards, they've got really quite a complex role. They have to adhere to the rules of the local authority, but they also have to interpret those rules into the community, into the culture of the school. It's not enough for the head teacher just to become a bureaucratic enforcer of government's oversight of how, for example, standardized testing is implemented. They have to play this really tricky role of interpreting that and bringing it into the school so that it still fits in line with whatever local culture is is inside that school. One of the ways to think about it is like the head of the school does have 
some freedom, but it's sort of like they have the freedom to choose the load they're going to bear. They do still have to adhere, like you said, to the rules of local government, of the Ministry of Education, perhaps to teacher unions, to the demands of the certain accreditations. You know, if they're going to be an IB school or a Cambridge school or a this or that, there might be certain accreditations they need to uphold. But it's probably within their realm to choose which of those demands they are going to have to uphold in their schools. They might have that choice of being an IB school or pursuing the Cambridge certificates or these sorts of things. But like you say, it's it's up to them to make sure that on the systems level and on the culture level that those things actually do happen in the school. And we've touched on this a little bit, but certainly tied within that is the idea of just setting up support for staff and to some degree students, but more so they're, they're in charge of staff, ensuring that staff are in alignment or able to achieve the school's goals. And that essentially it is their role to make sure that staff are improving, developing, and having the capacities to carry out these goals and these visions for the school. What's interesting is you spoke a little earlier about them bearing the, the brunt of any fallout should the school not achieve its expected results in testing and so on. But it's very hard to get statistical data that proves that they have very much say in what happened. I, I did a little bit of research. It seems to suggest that a really a good principal or head teacher really only has a 3 to 5% direct impact on test scores, yet they are seen as the figurehead. Of course, they're, they're responsible for hiring teachers and, and making sure programs are implemented. So there's all of these kind of less easily measurable impacts they have. We projected back into the one-room schoolhouse and there was obviously some growth pains as schools got bigger and the um, association of head teachers started to try and figure out exactly what their role was and how much oversight they were going to allow local government to have in the school and in Britain head teachers are essentially relatively autonomous especially in primary school they oversee the budgets of the school they get to make the majority of decisions and then maybe once every couple of years two three years the government inspectors will come in and like just for a couple of days, the government inspectors come in and then make some really big decisions based on the evidence they see just in, in those few days. It's a very strange situation in Britain of that relationship between the head teacher, teachers and students with the government. This push and pull between a lot of autonomy, but then the government will let you know <laughs> with in no uncertain terms every now and again if they don't feel that you're meeting those standards. My argument always was when I lived that it would make much more sense to have much more of a relationship that was that was every few weeks, every few months of a visit. And I think that's much more how it is in, in the States and Canada, where you're from, Rob. What's the relationship between schools and school boards in North America? Yeah, I would say, and, and I'm sure some things have changed in the 10 years since I've been there, but I would say it is much more the more frequent check-in, more frequent communications. I think the big things that could influence a lot of decisions like you were describing were the results of the standardized testing each year. But it seemed to me, having spoken to the heads that I worked with, that, you know, it was more like kind of a weekly, bi-weekly basis that you're in touch with the with the board office and in touch with passing along some results of this or that, that there were those frequent ongoing checks. And I guess maybe that's just one of those indicators to distinguish between the traditional and the more mainstream approach is the traditional approach seemed, from everything I've been able to look into it, had a very infrequent 
but potentially really potent review. So you might only have a, you know, kind of person acting in some kind of a superintendent role stopping by once a year. In some cases, maybe every five years for a day to check in how things are going. And like you said, you know, to boil it down to how what you see in that one day, you better hope that things are going pretty well in that day and it's it's not an off day or else that has some massive consequences. Whereas I think once you do shift over to more of this mainstream approach, the kind of review of the school, the review of how the leader is doing is a much more frequent, but still with those large, potent check-ins from time to time, but there is a much more ongoing, frequent transparency, which again, we keep tying this idea of transparency back to the mainstream school. You're supposed to have open books, you're supposed to show why you're doing things, no secrets involved here, and I think that's tied into that that valuing of transparency. So we we kind of touched on on some of the things you might call babies here, some of the, the positives. If you have a head teacher who really is a good fit for the school, who implements programs that match the culture and the resources of the school and who's looking out for the best interests of the teachers and the students but also being that positive liaison between local government and helping to implement rules and regulations that's kind of a best case scenario there's a lot of great heads out there who are really trying to mediate what we've talked about how there's no there's no school that's completely any of these the traditional mainstream of progressive and although we're talking about the mainstream school down the street when you look at your staff as a head teacher you're going to encounter teachers that are bringing ideas that are heavily influenced by not only the mainstream system you're working in but also the traditional and the progressive and one of the hardest things seems to be for and a lot of leadership courses are about that is how do you mediate these very different ideas that are coming in because what we're saying is that from the post-progressive point of view all of these ideas have value and they all hold some of the truth however you as a head teacher almost have to synthesize all of the ideas in your school and feed them back into the culture in the most positive way possible. So I think that's some of the hidden stuff you might not see when you think about the role of the mainstream principal. We, we, we see all that practical stuff and the implementation and hiring, budgeting and stuff like that. But I think on a philosophical level, it, it's if, you, if you're really trying to be open to all of these ideas and pretty much all of the heads I've worked with have, have tried to be really open to new ideas because that's a, that's a part of the mainstream opportunity value that you're open to opportunity and you're looking for new ideas but of course you're then taking the responsibility for implementing these ideas. And I think that desire to find those new ideas comes from that deeper desire to find what is the most effective and efficient ways for us to accomplish our goals. If I was to reword that sentence, possibly coming from the mouth of a, or the heart, maybe I should say, of a head of school in a mainstream school is, how can we most efficiently and effectively increase student learning, increase student achievement within our school? And you kind of need to be open to new ideas because maybe the next new idea is the more efficient or more effective way to, to accomplish your goals. Yeah, so looking at it from both ways, whether you are being receptive to those new ideas and being open to them and filtering them back in or whether you're actively looking for ways to make your school more effective. One thing we've criticized the mainstream for a few times already is how everything comes back to that idea of 
better test scores. But I think the best mainstream heads are ones that realize that that's only part of even a mainstream conception of school. So if you look at the mainstream conception built on ideas of enlightenment values, which are about truth seeking and, and being open fairness and justice and, and honesty the the world of education if you interpret it through those values is far wider than a curriculum document and standardized testing and so there's this internal tension inside mainstream education and again the head teachers I've spoken to that have really seemed to understand that idea will will tell you how complex it is to try and navigate even a small school with just a couple of hundred kids kids so who knows i don't know it'd be awesome to interview a head of one of these super schools with thousands and thousands and just see if they're able to take on just the the unbelievable range of ideas and pulls and pushes that are going on inside their own school so we've looked at some of the babies or the positives and the com- and acknowledging the complexities of being the head of a of a of a mainstream score now and I have to be honest just personally the job description doesn't sound like something that I would want to take on it's it's something you're just constantly under the eye of scrutiny and you know to be fair though maybe the positive spin on that is you've definitely got some skin in the game like your job is tied to this your school's funding is tied to your performance so in theory that slightly competitive or game-like dynamic, people get weeded out pretty quickly who aren't doing a good job. And that is one of one of the positives of it, regardless of how much stress it might be causing. If we look at some of the kind of bathwater and perhaps some of the drawbacks, one possible drawback is the fact that often in a mainstream school, the head teacher, the principal is typically removed from the classroom and removed from teaching and learning and planning. So yes, they might be in rooms for classroom observations. They might be in the classroom, um, you know, to see what's going on or because they've been invited by students or a teacher. But typically they don't have a specific teaching role. They won't have a class. They won't actually be there as a resource to offer support for students or even necessarily to influence the actual planning of teaching, learning, and assessment very much. And you could argue that perhaps... They are closer to representing an actual authority from the government rather than being an integral part of the community or at least addressing and acknowledging and putting the needs of their community first before the needs of the government or whichever kind of body of accreditation that they are responsible to. And in line with that, now, hopefully this doesn't hold true for too many principles, but the argument that it, it it attracts, because it's such a competitive role, it attracts people that want to win the game of academic achievement. A progressive mindset might see this as putting achievement over wellness. And one of the criticisms of the mainstream system as a whole is that maybe it does push the standardized testing and getting you ready for that next step over your wellness in the moment. And what you would hope is that a head teacher is able to mitigate and mediate this for both their teachers and their students. However, especially when we get into ideas of pay being related to test scores and head teachers' jobs being on the line because of 
a few percentage points in tests, that's just got to put you in that pressure cooker. I'm sure it can lead to the temptation to double down on that academic achievement, even when it's actually causing suffering for the head teacher themselves and for the people who work for them and study under them. One other criticism I have seen in kind of the worst case scenarios here is the role of principal kind of comes a few steps above the role of, say, being a teacher or a classroom assistant. And of course, within the school, the head of school is kind of the top role you can reach in that hierarchy. But beyond the school, after you've been a head of school, you may continue to ascend up the job hierarchy into something like working for the ministry or working as a superintendent, working in some higher role in perhaps the government side of education. And I know from some experience, stories of complaints of people who are simply in that role of head of school as their stepping stone to their larger goal, and perhaps not upholding the job to the degree that uh, is necessary in the school or required for the school's well-being and rather is this person putting in their you know two three years of mandatory time as a principal to then make the leap into an actual role that they are working for now that's dystopian i would say that's largely a minimal occurrence but it's certainly one of the problems of this game. Yeah, and and in Britain, we have a fast track. So within uh, two, three years of teaching, a couple of years of deputy head, and then a couple of years of head, and people may move into consultancy work. And you can get head teachers in their mid-30s, early 40s that have been through the entire system and only spent a few years at each step. And that's not to say those people didn't occur and put the time in at each step, but we're not building those experienced, competent, head teachers and principals and you know what for the criticisms of the traditional system one thing that the traditional system aims to have is to have you in that role for as long as possible so that you really do become an expert in theory and one would argue with the complexity of a current principal role you're probably not going to be an expert within a couple of years going slightly sideways on that this idea of the hierarchy and moving your way up the hierarchy is something that I guess, as we go into a more progressive school, they would want to see a more distributed form of leadership and to say that it's not really about climbing up the ladder, it's about how can we spread the responsibility through the school. I already think that this mindset is coming in to the mainstream, where you do see more distributed forms of leadership and trying to give roles, whether that's deputy roles, whether that's coordinator roles and so on, so as to spread the responsibility and also to put more resources and competencies in certain areas. But still, there is there is this underlying idea within the mainstream mindset of a meritocracy. And in its more positive spin, that means the better you are at some, the higher you climb up the ladder. But in its negative spin, it's just a race to the top and if that means that you have to be Machiavellian and step on other people well so be it I would say the world of school isn't generally quite that cutthroat but still this mainstream mentality does potentially breed that within the role so one of the characteristics of the mainstream school is this idea of having goals having clearly defined success criteria and measuring how close we are to attaining those goals. And one of the things you begin to see in the mainstream school is the actual articulation 
of values, the actual naming of specific aims. Uh, because, you know, once you can say the goal, that's one step towards being able to accomplish it by setting setting our sights and our aim. So one thing that you begin to see in mainstream schools is this idea of a mission statement. And Brennan, you called up a mission statement of a school that we kind of felt was obviously a noble mission statement, but also just served as an example of how many of these key concepts that we've pulled out of this mainstream school idea, how many of those key words are highlighted in this idea of a main of a mission statement. Yeah, so I'll I'll read it, Robin. You can note down the key words that show that this is a mainstream opportunity value. I will put a little caveat in that the school also has a vision statement which is which is more lofty and more geared towards what we might see of in a progressive school, talking about global competencies and lifelong learners. However, when we get into the mission statement of what we actually do on the ground, this is what it says. Our mission is to enable all learners access to learning through the provision of differentiated, in-depth and cohesive learning programs aligned to year-level content and achievement standards informed by the Australian curriculum. Highly effective teachers focused on improving student outcomes through their commitment to ongoing professional development, quality teaching, evidence-based practices, coaching, and mentoring and collaboration. A quality, inclusive learning environment that is responsive to student voice, enriching, engaging resources, opportunities for community and parents to participate in learning and decision-making partnerships. So I wish I had been scribbling them down. Instead, I was trying to keep track of my hands, but we had opportunities, resources, engaging resources, measurement, coaching, differentiated curriculum success, yeah, I counted about nine of kind of our typical signal words that you would associate with someone who has this kind of mainstream opportunity value of wanting to have clear goals, measuring them with the belief that we need to demonstrate our current best and yet to be constantly improving at the same time. And we see that on the school level, staff level, and trying to embed that into the views of students as well. And, you know, this ties back to this just worldview of the better you do, the more opportunities you will have available to you in the future. And again, this is true on the school level, staff level, students level, even parent level. Ultimately, opportunities to do well are important because it's good to be a self-determining person who carves out your own future, demonstrates what you can do, and makes the most of the opportunities that are provided to you. And if you show your worth, you show your merit, you show your capacities, then more opportunities are available to you. And if that sounds like it's common sense, it's so obvious that that is true, that's because there's truth in it. But it's not the only way to look at the world and it's not the only way to look at education. And that's the all of these points are thoroughly ingrained in the mainstream opportunity mindset. As we've just said, there's a lot of positives in there. But if you're more traditionally minded or if you're more progressive minded, you might not be fully on board with all of these ideas, especially when you see what it looks like on the ground. Because what we need to understand is that a lot of these are, are lofty aims, but what it does mean is that most of our resources inside school will be dedicated towards getting you ready for the next stage of school. And that can come at the cost 
of something that might allow you to develop more as an individual. It could come at the cost of more moral instruction or focus on your duties and responsibility, those things that you might see more in a traditional school. So we've looked at head teachers, their perspective on schools' core beliefs and values. I'd like to just shift over now to, again, some of these kind of like signal words or things that you might hear from a head teacher who is definitely deeply rooted in this mainstream approach. You might hear them wanting to make things transparent. So how do we do our assessments? We make that transparent. What's our curriculum? Well, that's up on our website. There's this idea that there's nothing to hide and that, you know, an open book is kind of the best policy. And this connects over to this idea of almost this scientific measurement of student achievement. There is a belief that we can objectively measure student learning and progress in relationship to our curriculum. So we make it clear about what we are doing and how. So you might even see, you know, information nights for parents where parents can come in and hear about why the school is using the teaching methods that they are. Or, hey, here's, you know, the assessments your kids are involved in. This is what it looks like. You know, there's no smoke and mirrors here. We'll show you everything we're doing and explain and share our justification of why this is what we are doing. There's this idea on the personal level, as well as maybe the cultural level within staff, that we do our best when we're not standing in the way of students achieving their highest potential. Now, you could say the same thing for staff. I, as a head of school, I'm doing my best when I'm not putting unnecessary barriers in the way that stand in the way of my staff achieving their highest potential. Now, again, the highest potential is predefined. This is the highest potential in relation to meeting standards imposed upon us by our governing bodies. But basically, it means making sure that we are helping students in the, all of the ways that we can to access the next part of the filter for their next step of school. And I think this may be the first time we've used the word filter in this episode of school, but we've talked about the different stages of school. You know, primary is getting you ready for middle school. Middle school is getting you ready for high school. The idea is that you're leaving our part of the school, entering the next best possible part of the school continuum or entering out into the workforce or post-secondary. We're getting ready for, for the next best, best possible entrance to the next part of school. And one, one kind of mindset that's emerged within schools is almost seeing the school as a brand. Not, not so much in the commercial way, but in a way that we can really define who we are and what we do. And we can tell you about that and we can actually implement our vision and our values. Like you said, Rob, it's about things being measurable. It's about things being transparent. And the principal as the as leader of that organization wants to embody those things. So th those are all kind of positive ways that, that we can spin how a head teacher might describe their school. I did kind of suggest earlier that other schools may critique this. If you're a traditionally minded school, you might listen to what the head teacher is saying and what they're embodying and critique it through your own value system that focuses on security, duty, responsibility. Likewise, if you're from a more progressive school where you're looking at inclusion and students having much more of a self-development focus in their learning, you might critique some of the things that the head's saying. So what are some of the bathwaters or critiques that we might throw at our head teacher who's standing there brazenly talking about transparency and measurability and potential? Well, one of my favorite lines in my 
career as an educator came in Canada in one of my first years from a teacher who arguably was a very healthy expression of the traditional mindset. And they were listening to our head of school go on about, you know, the effectiveness of our testing, the efficiency, how it's, you know, going to do all these things and why we're doing it and the, the explanation for it. Now, and to be fair, this is something that was taking up a considerable amount of our planning time as teachers considerable amount of classroom time to get students ready, you know, and eventually I think three, two hour actual testing periods. But the number of hours, yes, it's, you know, definitely double digits in terms of the preparation for these uh, tests. One of my favorite lines was, well, you can't feed a pig when you're weighing it. And I really liked that, that traditional idea of like, we're spending a lot of time with assessment, but there's a lot of nutrition these students are missing out on because we're dedicating this time to preparing them for being weighed. Now, obviously there's far more nuance you can share in there of how can you ensure that the preparation for the test is still relevant and meaningful and all these things. But I really did like that, that if you spend so much of your time focused on the idea of being ready for assessments and assessing, it just simply is time that you're using that you can't use for other things. I think the traditional school was generally on board as standardized testing grew out of this idea of we've always done some form of testing or assessment, even in traditional school, just to check that you knew. But as we talk about, and we'll talk about more in the area of assessment in a mainstream school, it it became much more about your your progress and where you're going. So I think they were kind of relatively on board with a lot of the ideas. But yeah, they do begin to question when it starts to take up a lot of time, um, especially away from things such as a six-hour dance preparation for the sports day that's upcoming, as I've talked about <laughs> my kids did in their more traditional school over here. That was seen as okay. But I think we'll find much more of a criticism from a progressive school that may listen to all of these things and understand and say, these make sense. You know, of course, you do want to be transparent. You want to measure. But 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 you're taking away the ability for each individual to grow in a way that's meaningful for them. And you as the leader of the school should really understand that you've got hundreds of individuals here. And part of your role is to help them to grow holistically, not in this very narrow box that you're kind of forcing them into this kind of pathway that leads them just to grow in the direction that you want to, almost like you've got a tree and you've bound it in to grow in a particular way. But come on, head teacher, let them flourish. Yeah, I think the criticisms come in of this idea of just reductionism reducing this monoculture vision, the idea that school is about assessment. It is about progress. But when you add to that sentence, you say, well, progress in what? It's like, well, the government's curriculum objectives, you know, whichever organization's curriculum objectives. And then, of course, the progressive critique comes in and says, yeah, so you're starting from this big picture system and then kind of like doing your best to like trickle it back to kind of force feed it to the individual to make it relevant, useful, meaningful. Why wouldn't you start with the individual to see what the individual needs and set them up with the skills to be able to enter a system, to enter a world, to play a meaningful part where they're capable and competent? And of course, when we eventually get there and critique the progressive approach, you know, they've got half of the side of the coin correct, but their critique is valid, but it's not sufficient to be the only vision for education as well. And I think we dug into that quite a lot in our discussion in the last episode with 
Dr. Brad Kirshner, and he's living that role as the head of a of a school where he's having to and has had to in the past navigate the expectations of a mainstream system alongside this real strong desire to really allow individual students to grow and flourish. And that brings us back to this, the potentially insane levels of complexity of you are a head teacher with your mind open to these three very different mindsets on education, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And this is where we get into, I guess, the idea of a head teacher who's operating with this post-progressive mindset, the developmental mindset, whether they're in a mainstream, progressive, or traditional school, but being able to take on board all of these ideas, synthesize them, feed them back into the culture in a way that's meaningful, that meets the culture and the people within it in at the place where they're at and that's a man, that's a heavy responsibility that is a heavy yoke to bear our next discussion will be about the staff within the school so looking at teachers looking at pastoral care after school care these kinds of things and we'll see if we can kind of connect this role of the head teacher to their influence for those below them in the hierarchy and in some cases obviously trying to blur those lines of hierarchy in terms of where the influence is in a school, but interested to see where this conversation goes next. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Robert. As always, we are very happy to hear feedback and interactions with you on the Twitter Twitter platform. And if you'd like to speak to us a little more privately, you can email us at reinventingeducationpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com.